From Creation Ministries International, you're listening to Creation.com's article podcast. The research and insights that give God the glory, refutes evolution, and gives you the answers to defend your faith. I'm Joseph Darnell. In 1936, archaeologist and adventurer Indiana Jones is hired by the U.S. government to find the Ark of the Covenant before Adolf Hitler's Nazis can obtain its awesome powers. Well, that's what happens in Steven Spielberg's film Raiders of the Lost Ark. I can't figure out how Pellick did it. Where do you get a copy of the headpiece? There are no pictures. I tell you only what I saw with my own eyes. A headpiece like that one, uh, except around the edges, which were rougher. And a mum deciphers the headpiece for Jones. One side bears a warning not to disturb the Ark, the other the correct measurements of the Staff of Ra. Jones and Salah realize that the Nazis are digging in the wrong location. Belloc's staff is too long. They're digging in the wrong place. <laughs> I am the monarch of the sea. Indiana Jones and his Egyptian friend Salah are excited because they realize, rather gleefully, that the bad guys are misinterpreting a clue on the location of the biblical Ark of the Covenant. Similarly, maybe not as gleefully, I suggest that searchers for the remains of the other biblical Ark, that of Noah, have been looking hard in places not suggested by scripture. Instead, the clues seem to point to a location somewhere in the Zagros Mountains just east of southern Iraq. You may wonder why I'm dubious about the traditional site, a spectacular 18,000-foot volcanic cone called Mount Ararat in English maps. It is in eastern Turkey, near the center of the old Roman province of Armenia. I have doubts for several reasons. First, many centuries of searching that mountain have yielded nothing more tangible than the unverified verbal accounts. Fuzzy photos of possible rock formations, pieces of wood of dubious age and sources, and a number of outright frauds. Second, several creationist scientists have said that Mount Ararat is a post-flood volcano. That is, the cone rose up after the receding floodwaters gouged out local river valleys and established drainage patterns, therefore not being the place the ark came to rest while the waters were receding. Third, its location, about 270 kilometers north of the northern border of Iraq, through rough mountainous terrain, doesn't seem to fit the biblical clues. Where is Noah's Ark? A closer look at biblical clues. Written by Dr. Russell Humphreys. So what are the biblical clues? First, there's Genesis 8-4. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the seventeenth day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. Note this word mountains is plural, so God is telling us that it was in the mountains of the region, not specifying a particular mountain. As for the region, 2 Kings 19.37 and Isaiah 37.38 imply that the land of Ararat was close to Assyria, the northern half of Iraq. Bible commentators identify the land of Ararat with the ancient kingdom of Urartu. At this point, many people connect Urartu with the later Roman province of Armenia. Indeed, the region of Armenia was contained in Urartu, but archaeological excavations have found Urartian villages much further southeast, extending into the Zagros Mountains. 
Now a little note to the ARC researchers. If you're passionate about some other location than the Zagros Mountains, don't read this article. It's fine with me if you want a different location, and I don't think anybody's eternal salvation depends on knowing the right location. If you want to write to Creation Ministries International advocating your favorite ARC site, fine. Just don't depend on me to answer. Now, Genesis 8.5 in my translation contains another clue. And the water decreased steadily until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. This tells us that the mountain on which the ark rested before this point was, at that moment, higher than other mountains within sight, say within 50 miles. After the account of God's covenant with Noah and a mention that his three sons would repopulate the earth, we have the first mention of what Noah did after that in Genesis 9.20. Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. I'm guessing that this was at a base camp in a valley near the ark, with Noah's family living in tents. Such places today are favorable to growing grapes. For the first few years after the flood, there would be no trees big enough to supply timber or much firewood, so they probably would use the wood of the ark itself. That suggests that the ark may not exist today in its entirety. Also, there would be many provisions in the ark which a nearby base camp would allow them to unload gradually as needed. Finally, a base camp would allow them to explore the area in order to move to a more permanent settlement. Noah apparently lived long enough at that location to develop his vineyard to maturity, and long enough to know his grandson Canaan, at which time Noah's three sons were living near his tent. The last verse of chapter 9 looks ahead to Noah's death 350 years after the flood, not long before Abraham was born. If, as many scholars think, Peleg was born when the scattering from Babel took place, then the great dispersion of mankind happened 101 years after the flood, as Noah's great-great-grandchildren were being born. The parenthetical table of nations, not fitting completely within the sequence of the narrative before and after it, describes the families that scattered from Babel, concluding with Genesis 10.32. These are the families of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, by their nations, and out of these the nations were separated on the earth after the flood. The account of Babel in Genesis 11, 1-9 begins immediately after chapter 10. If, as I've mentioned, we regard everything from Genesis 1, 28-10-32 as parenthetical, which seems to be required by the account of Noah's death in some remarks in chapter 10, then chapter 11 would be taking up the narrative where it left off in Genesis 10:27 in Noah's base camp. That sets the background for the next big clue, Genesis 11:2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. I'm quoting the King James Version here because I think its translation of the Hebrew word for from the east is very accurate. The Hebrew noun in a geographic sense means east or sometimes front. For example, the front of the tabernacle was its east side. The prefix means from, hence we have from the east. Occasionally the phrase may mean to the east, as is faintly possible in Genesis 13.11, though I think use of a different preposition, meaning to, would have been more likely had that been the case. Very often, however, eastward is a different word, as in Genesis 13.14, so our first hypothesis should be to take the phrase of Genesis 11:2 as meaning the flood survivors traveled from some point in the east. 
That is to say, they traveled westward. Next, notice where they arrived, a plain in the land of Shinar. Bible commentators all agree that Shinar is what we know today as the land of Sumer, in the southern half of Iraq. Genesis 10, Daniel 1, and Zechariah 5 associate Shinar with Babylon, which was also the southern half of Iraq. So coming from the east, Noah's extended family arrived in southern Iraq, not northern Iraq, which scripture usually calls Assyria. And we haven't exhausted the clues in Genesis 11 too. The Hebrew word translated journeyed here comes from a root which means pull out, remove, set out, set forward, depart, and journey. With the prefix and suffix here, it means in their setting out. That is, the verb implies that not long after they broke camp, they came upon the plain of Shinar. So putting all this information together, Genesis 11 implies that the flood survivors set out westward from a camp not far to the east of the plain of Shinar in southern Iraq. If you want to see it in this article, we have a map that shows that the camp must have been in the western part of the Zagros Mountains. The question then arises, was the Zagros Mountains camp near the Ark? There are several reasons to think so. First, the time between Noah's base camp near the Ark and the scattering from Babel seems to have been short, only about one generation. Noah's grandson Canaan was in the base camp, but Noah's great-great-grandson Peleg was born when God scattered everybody away from Babel. Also, Noah's great-grandson Nimrod seems to have been a leader in the rebellion, going north after the Babel event to found Nineveh. Second, if Noah's family had traveled a long way, say from the traditional Mount Ararat all the way, that is 800 kilometers southeast through very rough mountain country, to the Zagros camp, they would have passed many river valleys leading into Assyria, which is northern Iraq, not into Shinar, southern Iraq. So it seems likely that they did not travel far to establish the base camp. If it was indeed near the Ark, then the site of the Ark is in the Zagros Mountains. The Zagros Mountains east of southern Iraq are desolate and sparsely populated. Some of them are high. One that strikes my eye on the map is Zardku, or Zardiku. I think Ku means mountain in the local language. That is 4,547 meters, or 14,856 feet, in altitude at roughly 32.4 degrees north, 50.05 degrees east. It seems to be significantly higher than other peaks near it, and a river leads down to the plain. However, there are many other possibilities. I would look along any modern or ancient river valley that emerges onto the plain of southern Iraq, preferring mountains that are relatively close to the plain. And I will leave you with a warning to the Ark searchers. The area is extremely dangerous, being fought over by Kurds, Iraqis, and Iranians. It may just be that God is using those means to keep the sight of Noah's Ark from being revealed to the world until the time it suits him. How many animals did Noah take aboard the Ark? How did he feed all of them on the long voyage? Where did he keep the carnivorous animals? What were conditions like for Noah and his family during the flood? Students of the Bible and science have pondered these questions and many more in their study of Genesis. Doubters in the literal global flood, including hybrid creation theorists, play evolution-based theories of science in authority over God's word, 
claiming the flood was nothing more than a local occurrence and the age of the earth is millions and billions of years old. John Woodmurup, with training in both geology and biology, has tackled the tough questions about Noah's Ark and the flood in the book Noah's Ark, A Feasibility Study. Thoroughly researched and clearly presented, the book provides sensible solutions to the most difficult problems that faced Noah and his family on the Ark. With the skill of an engineer, Woodmurup enhances our understanding of the work Noah did and the means he had at his disposal to manage the menagerie of animal life God entrusted to him. Noah's Ark, a feasibility study, is an indispensable resource for serious students of both science and scripture. It's available right now at creation.com store. From everyone at creation.com, thanks for listening.